So if you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. We are going back to finish a series we started in the summer. Just for a few weeks, we're going to finish the Gospel of John because we have to remember that the most wonderful time of the year, that is this month, was made possible because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And the question that we're going to answer this morning is this question, how do I know God loves me? How do I know God loves me? And what I experienced this week is I had a dentist appointment. I was supposed to get oral surgery, and I asked God to show me that he loved me by making my experience like going to Bella Brew and having an appetizer. That was my prayer. Jesus, make this like going to Bella Brew. He didn't answer my prayer. It wasn't like Bella Brew. It wasn't that much fun. It kind of made me nervous. And um, thanks for our AV team. They do a great job here. They do. I'm grateful for them. But sometimes, you know, you don't feel God's love. Sometimes you, you don't feel it. But you got to know he loves you constantly. And he'll show up in ways that are... Super, super special. We've got to be careful of relying on our feelings sometimes. I remember I told my wife, I've shared with a few of you, told my wife a few weeks ago I wasn't feeling it. And she said, this is what Southerners say. That's what you get for feeling. Uh, so, so, but, but we've got to know God loves us. And we had this family experience with our extended family last week in the city of Jerusalem. And I got up one morning. I'd never been there my whole life. Got up one morning and went running and I wanted to run through the old city. I think it's about 39 acres. takes about 45 minutes to run around it. Um, and I, I went in there, and I was running through the city. Never been there before. Very few people there in the morning. And I ran into some military guards. And they, were, they weren't real excited to see me. It was kind of strange. And they all were, they were... It was a very safe place to be because everyone had big, hunking... You know what I'm talking about. Guns. And uh, they just said, hey, sir, please stop. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was looking for the Temple Mount. Have you ever heard what that is? It's the Temple Mount is, it's where, it's threefold. It's the location of Mount Moriah where Abraham went to, was tested, and his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, awful reference. Maybe we'll talk about that someday. And then it's the same place where Solomon built the temple and the Holy of Holies. But it's also the same place where presumably in the 6th century, Muhammad ascended. So, and it's only four to five acres. Okay? Valuable piece of property. Okay? And I just wanted to see it. So these guards said, hey, stop. And I was like, all right, seven in the morning, fine. And then, and then they started arguing. And one of them started inviting me over. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's solve the argument first before I head your direction. They started arguing, and they said, come here. And I walked about 10 yards, and this is what I saw. I got a little view, and I got to see the Temple Mount. Have you seen that on the news, that, that beautiful gilded dome? It was breathtaking. And I got to tell you, while those, those guards were fully stocked and 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 equipped their willingness to let me close. Now, I didn't snap this photo. <laughs> they didn't. This somebody, I, I think my wife snapped this on another occasion. But man, I felt so loved for that opportunity to see. And I think sometimes 
Jesus gives us opportunities. Jesus will reach out to us. He will give us stuff we don't deserve. He will he'll empathize with us. He will pay our debts off in ways we never imagined, be generous with us, and we should feel significantly loved. We should know we're significantly loved in Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you about how you know you're loved. And the deal is, is when you don't feel loved, when someone is loved, they, they know that, hey, others feel what I feel. Others feel what I feel. Um, somebody else pays our bill. Who feels loved when your bill's paid at a restaurant, right? Or when, when someone gives us what we need, then we feel tremendously loved. This morning, we're going to talk about how God loves us. Now, let me tell you where we've been. We were in John chapter 18 back in mid-September where Judas and Peter and Annas and Pilate were making the biggest decisions of their life as to what to do with Jesus. That's where we were. Do you remember that, kind of? Okay. And remember, Judas was like, hey, everything's going great. He had a plan. And Peter was kind of like, fake, hey, I got this. Everything's good. And uh, Annas was like, what, who is this guy? That was Caiaphas' father-in-law. And Pilate was like just trying to keep everybody happy. And Jesus was doing this. Jesus was, was really answering the question, what is the Father's will? What is, what is the Father asking of me? How do we know God loves us? How do we know God? How do I know God loves me? That's the question we want to answer this morning. So the first answer, it's going to be threefold this morning. The first answer is he feels what I feel because he suffered injustice for me. Anybody a victim of some act of injustice? Jesus suffers. So this is Jesus sentencing to crucifixion. I'm going to read it from John 19. And before I do, I wanted to share with you, this is the location where Jesus was sentenced. This is the location where he was flogged. This is the location where his body was prepared for burial in the city of Jerusalem. Here's the text. When I get to the red, if you'd read with me, it would it'd be fun. Okay, here we go. This is kind of a tough passage, so hang in there. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Hmm. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Here is the man. I'm giving you what you wanted. Remember, Pilate just wanted everyone to be happy. He wasn't a good promoter of justice. I'll talk about that in a moment. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. None. How do we respond to injustice? We can learn just a couple pieces from, from, uh, from Pilate and from Jesus. Well, as it relates to injustice, be like Jesus. <clears throat> Don't fight fire with fire. The, the most remarkable, the loudest thing or moment about this narrative is Jesus' silence in the face of injustice. He doesn't say a word. You know you're always safe not talking, mostly. 
you don't have to take anything back, right? The loudest experience that Pilate was having, no doubt with Jesus, was that Jesus wasn't saying a word. And, and the application is, when you're experiencing injustice of some sort, don't fight fire with fire. You get angry, what happens? It just gets elevated, right? You send that email, you send that text, it's a bad day, isn't it? Secondly, keep your tongue when other people lose their heads, right? Keep your tongue. Kind of goes together. Number two, so be like Jesus, but number two, don't be like Pilate. Don't be like Pilate. Deliver justice when you can. And the Proverbs give us good direction here. It's a good example. And it's, I want you to read it with me because I think it, it speaks to our, our culture. Say it with me. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And again, speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Speak up, but do so with grace, do so with gentleness, do so with civility, Consider others more important than yourself. But, again, speak up. Make sense? Often, we are sometimes the, uh, the cause of maybe some sort of misunderstanding. We're the cause of some sort of wrong. How do we deal with that? And I want to just break down a good apology. A good apology has three parts. <laughs> Anybody ever required to give an apology to somebody else? Yeah. Not easy. I think it gets more difficult as we get older, at least for me. Uh, Repentance means I'm sorry. Okay? I'm sorry. And I think better than I'm sorry is, will you forgive me? And it put it, they have to forgive you or or not. Kind of, you really own it. Responsibility is saying, hey, it's my fault. I'm the owner. I get in trouble in my home when I say, hey, i got to own it, or you need to own it, and it doesn't work in my home. But the idea is that, hey, it's my fault. i I got to own that. <laughs> you ever have anything in your marriage or family life or at work where you have to say, I'm the owner, my foul, right? My bad. Okay? How many of you are with me right now? Okay? A couple. Good. Mary? Tony, good to see you. Okay. And so there's repentance, I'm sorry. There's responsibility, it's my fault. But, but this, is, this is the initiative towards justice that Jesus took. <clears throat> it's restitution. What can I do to make it right? That's the next level. What can I do to make it right? What did Jesus do to make it right? He went to the cross. That was the purpose of the cross. The new covenant. The new the new initiative. He did whatever it took to make it right. Let me just ask, this season for you, is there a relationship? Is there, um, is there something you need to do to, to provide restitution in some way? Is there something you need to do to take ownership and say, hey, that's my fault. I, I got to own that. Is there something you need to do to, to repent of and say, hey, I'm not just sorry, will you forgive me? I want to get on the right track. This is mature humility. People will gravitate to you for your willingness to be that way. Okay? Especially your wife if you're married. Okay. 
So how do I know God loves me? Well, the first real step is this. He's empathetic. He understands injustice. Jesus himself, and who is Jesus? We talked about this three months ago. Does anyone remember who is Jesus? Jesus is, let's try it again. I need some, John chapter one. Who is Jesus? Jesus is, oh yeah, God. He is God, fully human, fully God. And because he experienced suffering, he can feel what I feel. And he suffered injustice for me. He, he absorbed the full weight of injustice, personally. And he was the full model of how I can be a justice bringer in a gracious way, a humble way, a civil way. I think you, you may have relationships that you're in that require more empathy that require your willingness to humble yourself and even suffer sometimes for someone else. And I think the question I want to leave you with all morning is this question, as it relates to your relationships, your family, your kids, is this. Hey, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? What is Jesus asking of me? Say that with me, would you? What does love require of me? Because it's one thing to experience God's love from Christ on the cross. But I don't think I really know how much God loves me until I allow his spirit as a conduit to flow through me into others and to show that incredible love. Okay? And we just pause. Commercial break. Aren't these decorations awesome? My word. Commercial break. Isn't this fun? Did you guys see this? Some of this you might not have seen. Joy over there, right? In case you're really struggled with, with seeing, that's love right there on the left. In the back is grace. And up there is hope. Isn't that awesome? Didn't they do a great job? Volunteers, great job. Simple, economic. Great job. Lobby looks great. Coffee's good. Everything's good. Okay, so back. Commercial's over. Here we go. So as it relates to you understanding, how do I know God loves me? Well, he feels what I feel. He suffered injustice for me. He paid the price, the ultimate price. Injustice, although it's been fully paid for on the cross, it hasn't been fully rendered until everyone stands before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you have believed that Jesus suffered justice, the injustice for you, then there'll be no judgment when you stand before Christ someday. No judgment. Just welcome home. But if you've not believed that Jesus experienced the full weight of injustice on the cross, the full justice of God will be levied out towards that person. That's how important it is. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And so in, in our journey, we want to, the way we understand how God loves us is by asking the question, also, how do we love others? And that's the question I want to leave you with. How does love, how, what does love require of me? What does it require of me? What's he asking of me? I had an experience yesterday, I'll tell you really quick. I was out running, and I, I, I yielded, waited for the green sign, you know, that says beep, 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 beep. And uh, I took off running, and then I saw this gal behind me with a, uh, an, with a walker, 
And I was a little concerned that she might, this other car might not see her. So I just waited. And just waited, and she came out, and it was cool. And then about an hour later, I saw her at the Dollar Tree. It's cool. I love going to the Dollar Tree. Not at all. But I was there with my wife shopping, and I saw her again. And I thought, I just want to go talk to her. Hey, ma'am, I'm, I'm, I just said, I'm Scott. How you doing? Good. She's from Czechoslovakia. No, Yugoslavia. And I just said, hey, do you have a home church? She goes, no, I used to live in San Francisco, go to the Greek Orthodox, and I haven't made a move yet. And I said, would you like, would you like to try out a Christmas Eve service this, here in Natomas? She goes, yeah. I didn't have my phone. I said, do you have your cell phone? It was kind of an awkward conversation. You ask someone for their cell phone in, in, at Dollar Tree. But she trusted me for some crazy reason. And I just said, I'd love to have you. So I textured the information, want to have you there. I just felt like God really wanted me to love her. Do you have those moments, right? Even though they're awkward, I think it's important to seize them, especially this time of year. All right, point number two, how do I know God loves me? He pays what I owe. He canceled my debt. I'm debt-free as it relates, not to Bank of America, I'm debt-free as it relates to what I owe God. Ah, that is such good news. Let's, let's see how it all happened. It's the crucifixion of Jesus. Before I read it, I've got to show you something that was kind of marvelous. There's this spot in, in Jerusalem where they believe the actual centerpiece of the cross was placed down into. You're in a really dark uh, building, and uh, you can go down and place your hands inside of the hole. It's pretty cool. And say a little prayer. You get a minute. It's packed in there. But I was like, this is cool. But I, I didn't know if you could take pictures or not, but, you know, I didn't know. So I thought, let's try, maybe get in trouble. And so what I did is I put my camera on, on flash, and I reached down and I took, after putting my hand in this hole, where, according to tradition, the cross was placed down in, where Jesus was crucified, I, I, I leaned my camera out and took a photo. And I didn't realize that I actually had a great photo of this hole till Friday night. I want to share it with you. <clears throat> this is it. Isn't that beautiful? I couldn't see it until I got home. That's the actual location where they believed that the, the cross was placed down in. Where Jesus paid our debt. The spot. Now, it, it may be off a little bit by eight inches or eight feet. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that there's a place that they believe the debt was paid. A place, a moment, spoke to me. So let's, let's read the story about how he paid our debt. Carrying his own cross, the Via Della Rosa, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and... Isn't that cool? What a moment those two guys must have had. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. A substitutionary death. He paid the price. He got done on the cross what we could never accomplish in life. He paid our debt. It's paid off. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read... The king of the Jews. Yeah. 
very awkward for him to read all that, for have, to have that all printed. The, the Jews did not believe he was a king. They believed he was from Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? They said. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. They were totally oblivious to what was going on. Totally oblivious that they were allowing the Son of God to be crucified. The Son of God to be crucified. It was weird being in Capernaum, near the Sea of Galilee, and being told by somebody else, the Son of God was here. It's just weird hearing that. Wow. Humble. Very humble. Maybe this guy will make sense. In the joy of the Holy Spirit, and everything has come from light and life and love. And out of this has come a world that is destined to share in light and life and love. But you know that this world is not like that. I know this world is not like that. I look around and I see darkness and death and disconnection. Where's that come from? Well, we've turned from the light. And when you turn from the light, where else do you go but darkness? And when you turn from love, where else do you go but disconnection? When you turn from life, where else do you go but death? So this is the kind of world we live in. But what does, what does love do? When love sees the beloved in trouble, love says, your pit will be my pit, your plight will be my plight, your debts will be my debts, your darkness will be my darkness, your death will be my death. So who is Jesus? Jesus is love come down. The son of the father comes and, and becomes our brother to be with us in the darkness, to take that darkness on himself on the cross, to take that disconnection on himself, to even to take that death that we all deserve for turning from God, took that on himself on the cross, plunged it down into the hell that it deserves, and he rose up again to light and life and love, and he says, you in the darkness, do you want my light? You in death, do you want my life? You in disconnection, do you want my love? And anyone who simply says yes to Jesus, we get Jesus in our life. We get his father as our father. We get his spirit as our spirit. We get his future as our future. It's for free and it's forever. So do you want Jesus? It's free. It's paid for. It's free. So how do we know God loves us? How do, we know God, how do I know God loves me? Well, he pays what I owe. He canceled my debt. He canceled my debt. We struggle canceling others' debts. Greg, can we bring up that, that image of the, uh, the, the dual winners of the Canadian lottery? Have you guys heard about this? So this, uh, this, this is uh, the nephew uh, and his aunt. They, they signed up. It's Barb and Ty, Tyrone. They both went in on a lottery ticket and they won uh, the ticket, and they both won $1.2 million. They were ecstatic. Except the problem was Barb didn't believe that Tyrone actually put in with her on the lottery ticket. They had this argument. You didn't really buy that ticket. That was my ticket. And so as they were collecting $1.22 million, uh, Aunt, Aunt Barb told Tyrone, hey, I will see you in court. I'm going to see you in court, right? Are we any different sometimes? Just to avoid being too judgmental. How do we know God loves us? Let's go back to that, Greg. He's paid our debt off, right? He's paid our debt off. He's paid what we owe. But when it comes to answering the question, what does love require of us? I'll see you in court, right? Right? I'm going to get my money back. 
Wouldn't it be great if we could forgive our debtors? Wouldn't it be a funner story for the two of them to have Christmas Eve dinner together and say, you know what, that was a fun argument we had, but it's, we're done with that, aren't we? Is six hundred grand to get to get you through 20, 2019? Yeah, I'll make it. Not a lot better conversation. What's the? How do I know God loves me? Well, He pays what I owe. He canceled my debt. What would happen if I started canceling, in my mind, the debts others owe me? What would happen if I started asking the question, "Hey, what does love require of me this month? Am I connecting at all?" Okay, thank you. Number three, he gives me what I need. He's a finisher. He finishes what I start. He finishes what I started. The death of Jesus. Let's look at it. This is the actual rock underneath the the cross where there has been, by tradition, a blood stain, actually, that went down the front face of the rock for years. It's where Christ was crucified, underground what it was like. Here's the text. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. He had real needs. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It's finished. He's the finisher. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus, the finisher. I like how C.S. Lewis describes what it's like to put your trust in Jesus, who said through Paul, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, he's the uh, originator of the Chronicles of Narnia. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. You can't go back and change. There's a lot we can't change, but we can, we can change today. I'm telling you the way to change today is by asking the question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me at work? What does love require of me in my neighborhood? What does love require of me with my, my husband, my wife, my best friend? What does love require of me? What what does Jesus want from me? How does he want me to love? How can I pay the debt of others? How can I empathetically feel for others? How can I help others finish? Got a neighbor who didn't finish their Christmas lights? How about going over and helping them finish? He's a finisher. Jesus finishes our isolation, John chapter 1. The Word became flesh to man. This is a summary of where we've been in the Gospel of John. John chapter 2. Jesus finishes our coming up short. Jesus' mother ran out of wine at the wedding of Cana. What did Jesus do? He provided the best wine of the the wedding. He finished. John chapter 3. He finishes our confusion about eternity. He tells Nicodemus that Jesus, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life, in this life and in the next. 
He, John chapter 4, he finishes our relational chaos. The Samaritan woman who was looking for, leaning into security and identity through multiple relationships, not in God. He finishes our years of disappointment, paralytic, lays paralyzed for 39 years. Jesus says, you want to get well? You ready to change? He says, yes. Jesus finishes our spiritual hunger. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the true manna. John chapter 7, he finishes our spiritual thirst by saying that the Holy Spirit will be like rivers of, of living water flowing through you. He finishes our condemnation from others. The woman caught in adultery. None of these men condemn you, neither do I. He finishes our spiritual blindness. The man born blind. He finishes our wanderings. He's the good shepherd who leaves the 99. He finishes our spiritual death. Like Lazarus, who was physically dead, but didn't understand that, and his family didn't understand that the resurrection begins now, Christ in us. He finishes our deepest cravings. Mary gave all she had to anoint Jesus, a year's worth of wages. He finishes our self-centeredness, our over-self-awareness, by telling us we need to love people, by washing their feet, the ones closest to us. Let me say that one again. He, he, he finishes our self-centeredness by showing us the need to wash the feet of those closest to us. He finishes our anxiety. He says, in, in this life you will have many troubles. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trust in God, trust also in me. He finishes our self-reliance by saying, hey, abide in me, be grafted in me, and I'll produce fruit through you by you being close to me. He finishes our loneliness. His spirit comes alongside us. His spirit is the counselor, the guide, the anointing, the teacher. He finishes our weakness. Judas, unfortunately, failed without opportunity to repent and make restitution or accept restitution. But Peter, Annas, and Pilate all had opportunity to finish well. I love the story. It came out, seems like, about a month ago. There was a, a march in D.C. And um, this, there, was a, there were two different, uh, two different marches going on in D.C. And uh, w- one group came from the great state of Texas, and the other group was there in D.C., and they were marching kind of simultaneously. And this group of guys met this waitress, and they had this dialogue with her, and they were just really impressed with her work ethic, her smile. And this is what these guys said. This is what this guy said. He's, he left her an enormous tip. Um, the bill was $72. He left her a $450 tip. And this is what he said. He said, we may come from different cultures and may disagree on certain issues. But if everyone would share their smile and kindness, like your beautiful smile, our country will come together as one people. Not race, not gender, just American. God bless. 450 bucks. What does love require of us? How do we know God loves us? Well, he gives us what we need. He finishes what we start. Today, I challenge you all month to ask this question. What does love require of you? What does love require of me? I think when you answer it, it can be challenging initially, but it's a joy.
It's a joy.